Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke 23. Open your Bible to Luke 23. In just a moment, we will be in verse 32. Last week, we started talking about the things that Jesus said from the cross. There's seven recorded statements that were really those last words before his death. Now, we know the full story. He didn't stay dead. He was buried. He rose again. He lives today. Praise the Lord. But these last statements that Jesus made are impactful. And one of the things they teach us is that he understands us. He knows what we're going through. He gets us. Last week we started with that first saying. Do you remember what it was? Jesus, having been beaten, nailed to a cross, looked at all within his fear, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And what did we learn? We learned that Jesus knows what it's like to feel hurt. He gets your pain. And, and I recognize we come into a hospital today. That's what church is, a, a hospital for broken sinners, right? This is not a museum for saints. So if that's what you're looking for, you're in the wrong place. But in this hospital for sinners, we've got all kinds of pain. Pain like Jesus felt on that day. He felt physical pain. And some of you, even members of my family, you live with that daily and it's debilitating. And usually that even leads to emotional pain. But some of you are struggling just with emotional pain and maybe even a mental illness and I'm confident that all of those emotions that were a part of the human nature of Jesus were being felt that day on the cross. He understood relational pain because he looked out and his disciples were gone. Those that he had spent three years investing in, they were not with him. And you've been abandoned. You've been stabbed in the back. He felt the insults. You've been cut down and hurt. And then Jesus felt spiritual pain. As we'll eventually see, he felt even separated from God. And maybe you do today. And the good news in all of that is that he gets you. Now the truth is, that thing that all of us can relate to is that pain that we felt somehow as we've been hurt by others. We were taught as children, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And it didn't take long for us to learn that that was a lie. Because we got our feelings hurt, and we begin to think, Mama, they hurt my feelings. And, and that continues throughout life. Almost 30 years in ministry, I could name names if I would, of uh, people that keep moving from church to church to church because they got their feelings hurt. I could give examples in my life of things I've done that have caused hurt feelings and the way my feelings have been hurt. So the fact that Jesus speaks into our hurt, that's a big deal. And what Jesus was teaching us in that simple statement, he was saying that when you've experienced hurt by others, if you want peace, the pathway to peace is always going to involve personal forgiveness. You, you can't get from hurt to peace without walking through forgiveness. I, ho I hope you 
discovered that. And if you weren't here last week or haven't heard that truth, I hope maybe just that tidbit helped you. Today we look at the second statement. And I can really relate here. Maybe you can. Do you ever feel unworthy? Do you ever walk into a room like this, a a church building, and think, man, I hope nobody knows what I did this week. Or, man, should I even be here? You've heard my story, a lot of you. I'm blessed. I, I grew up in a Christian home. Had the best mom and dad, and I was taught the things of God. But I'm a sinner. Just in my story, most of the worst things I've done came not only after I was a follower of Christ. I became a follower of Christ at a young age, like young Evan, who was baptized in this baptistry in our last service. A lot of my worst decisions came after I had surrendered to the ministry and was serving God as a pastor. And I can remember moments where, man, I just thought, can I even go on? I'm, I'm so unworthy. I'm not even qualified anymore. And I reluctantly confess to you, I know, what it's, I know what it feels like not even to want to live. So when I see the encounter that we're about to read, I can relate. Because in this moment of death... We have a deathbed conversation and a deathbed conversion. And the Son of God, Jesus Christ, speaks hope and life into a criminal. And when I see that, I'm reminded that He sees me. And that He sees you. That He gets us. So let me remind you of the context. Jesus had been betrayed by a friend. He had been um, falsely accused by religious people. <laughs> so, I'm having fun too today, so let's just go out on a limb. How many of you on those first two can relate to Jesus? You've either been betrayed or you've been hurt by religious people. Yeah, he gets you. And some of you are lucky. You couldn't raise your hand on that. So he's betrayed, he's been hurt by religious people, and then the government, he gets in trouble with the government, the Roman officials, right? There's a kangaroo court, we would call it, where they try him, but it's a joke. And they even know it, they they even tell us it's a joke. And then he's placed into the hands of the guard. So he's beaten, he's whipped, they plucked his beard hairs, they, they took a crown of thorns, and they pressed it upon his head so hard that he began to bleed and then they pressed upon his shoulders the, the big wide beam of the cross and made him carry it through the streets of Jerusalem during a time of celebration. We live in Tampa. It would be as if you're walking through downtown Tampa in the midst of Gasparilla to a public execution. Jerusalem was a Jewish city. They were celebrating Passover. Probably many of them longing for what the Israelites had experienced with freedom from the Egyptians because now they were under the tyranny of Rome. He gets to the place of the skull. And it's changing 
that up until the last few years you could look at this side of the mountain and see why they called it the place of the skull. It's one of the many places where the Roman government would crucify, as I've mentioned, maybe 30,000 citizens a year. They nailed his hands to the cross beam. They nailed his feet to the other part of the cross, and then they planted it in the ground. That's where we pick up our story. Verse 32, Luke 23. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's important as we continue the story, but I reminded you that this is in the language, in the imperfect tense, which implies he continues to say this. So while we have it printed once, he would have been hanging on the cross, taking those deep breaths as you have to take when your lungs have been punctured and you're crying out, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So the guards, they cast lots to divide his garments, and and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, in other words, Christ means Messiah, if he is the Messiah, the one of God, he claims to be his chosen one, the, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription. There was even a sign that they had put on Jesus' cross that said, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hanged there railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. I mean, you talk about bitterness. You know, there's a tendency the older we get and the closer we get to the grave, if we're not careful, we can just become bitter and old. I mean, this guy's about to die. And what does he do with his dying breaths? He makes fun of the guy next to him who's about to die. Wow. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man, pointing to Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he, that criminal, said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, said to him, truly, or if you're reading from the old King James, verily, are assuredly, are absolutely, (laughs) I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. All right, there's one thing I want you to get. If you get this today, you got it. Here's the main thing. Jesus loves you like he loved that criminal on the cross. 
and what he said and what he did on that day can give you hope this day. That's a big deal. Jesus loves you just like he loved that criminal on the cross. And what he said and what he did to that criminal on that day, he says and does to and for you this day, and that gives you hope. Let's go back to the context. Jesus is, is being crucified but between two criminals. Now, we're told this in Luke's gospel, but that's not a surprise because none of this was a surprise. This was part of God's sovereign plan. And that's a good place for me to stop and remind you that nothing touches your life that hasn't first filtered through the hand of God. And that should bring both comfort and sometimes questions. Because our circumstances are not always good, but God is never caught off guard. God never has aha moments. He never says, oh, I didn't see that one coming. And so we have all the Old Testament books that are pointing us to Jesus, that are reminding us of what we're reading about now. One of them is in Isaiah 53. We call this the passage of the suffering servant. And you could go this afternoon and read all of Isaiah 53 and see what it's telling us about Jesus. But in verse 12, it says this, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, and he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. And he makes intercession for the transgressors. So Isaiah told us not only was Jesus going to be hanging there with a bunch of criminals. He was going to pray for the criminals. Jesus was numbered with transgressors. So that you and I could be numbered with the redeemed. That's the point of this passage. Just before the moments that we've read about, there was another interaction that the Gospel of Matthew records. Let me read that to you. It's set up beginning in verse 38. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left, and, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. So <laughs> these are just the passerbys. They've got no skin in the game. We have no reason to think they had anything about Jesus. They're just a bunch of jerks, Right? Y'all okay? I mean, that, that's what they are. And they're wagging their heads, it says, and they're saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God. Come down from the cross. Now notice this. So also the chief priest with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. We'll believe him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. So now you got some folks who do have skin in the game. They're jealous. They don't like the attention, these religious people. Jesus is proclaiming something different from what they're teaching. And a different way. It says he's the way. But then you've got something crazy that happens. And the robbers who were crucified with him, they also reviled him in the same way. And this is an important side lesson. Negativity is contagious. If you hang out with a bunch of gossips and bad mouths, guess what? You're probably going to become one. That's exactly what was happening. First, these people passed by just pointing out. Then the religious leaders, they thought, okay, now we got some cover. So they got in the game. And then what happened? 
than the criminals. They're dying. And they start pointing, making fun, bullying Jesus. But something changed. One of the thieves, the robber, the criminal, something changes in him. He looks at Jesus differently. And we don't know exactly why. Maybe he looked out and he saw Mary, a mother, grieving. And he saw compassion. And he began to think about his mom. And it made him stop running his mouth and, and start really thinking about the moment he was in. Maybe as he looked over at Jesus, he saw that sign, the king of the Jews. And as God does, sometimes instantly, he was under the conviction that there is a king that rules and reigns all that is. And, and he began to see Jesus as the king in that moment. Maybe, maybe he looked into those eyes of Jesus. Jesus 100% human, 100% God, eyes probably blinking a lot because of the blood that was passing through. And maybe he saw a love he had never seen. Or maybe he felt Jesus looking at him. And in that glance from Jesus, his heart changed. We, we don't know why. We don't know what happened. But whatever happened, there was a change. And one of the criminals began to boldly speak out and defend Jesus and ultimately seek salvation. So understand what's happening there. Two criminals on crosses, two different people, they're all having the same experience. They were both close to Jesus. We call that proximity. They both heard and saw the same thing. We call that opportunity. And yet they both responded differently. And every preacher I know would say, we watch that happen every single week. People come into a room, and we come from different backgrounds. But we're at the same place. And we worship the same God. And we hear the same truth. And some walk out with an intent to live their life changed by the grace of God, conformed into the image of Jesus, making a difference in this community. And others leave the moment like a crumpled bulletin on their seat. They take nothing from it. And, and that teaches us that proximity and opportunity do not necessarily influence destiny. What you've heard, what you've seen, where you've been does not make you what you are. You have to respond. You can be near the things of God. You can even hear the truths of God and not respond to the invitation of God. And so really what you have here is the best picture of the divisions of humanity that we have anywhere in human history. Because our biggest division is not geography. I love the fact that as we've gathered to worship today, we may have nearly 70 nations represented here. But that's not our biggest difference. Our biggest difference is not race, because ultimately, we really are just one race. We're the human race. And our skin colors, that's not the biggest difference that we have. Our biggest difference is not our e economic background. 
though there are some in this room who may be homeless, there are others who have been blessed beyond measure. Our biggest difference is not our political affiliation. Our biggest difference is which side of the cross we're on. Where we are in relation to Jesus. Which side are you on? Well, where would you have been that day? Just picture yourself in the moment for a second. Which of the criminals? If you just look back to this last week, let's just take a snapshot. Your attitude, your actions. Which of the criminals would you most likely be? Where are you today? (laughs) Truth is, we're all like these criminals on the cross. I know you don't like that, but that's what the Bible teaches. In fact, there's a a great verse in the Bible. It's Romans 3.23, and here's what it says. For all have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed God's intent. We've broken his law. And when you break his law, you are what? A criminal. Yeah. And so we're all in the same boat. Same circumstance in that spiritual setting. I I peeked in on our Celebrate Recovery ministry on Friday evening. What a burgeoning and growing ministry in our church and some of you misunderstand what that's about because it's not just a group who struggle with addictions and alcohol or or drugs so that's a part of it it's really a, a ministry that's designed to help us recognize that every one of us have hurts habits and hang-ups in our life that if left untouched will make us far from God that meets on Friday evenings I'd love for you to be a part of that it's free um But I love that recognition that there's something in all of us that cries out saying, man, I I need God. Do you ever just stop and realize, man, I'm a criminal? (laughs) Now, some of you, that means something different. (laughs) Because, uh, just the facts, in the U.S., we have more people in prison than anywhere in the world except, we're number two, except Russia. So the way that plays out, either 20 or 25% of American citizens have a criminal record. And this is where you're scared to death that I'm going to say, raise your hand if that's you. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that today. But think about that. If I just statistically look at that, that means it's one in four or one in five at best of this crowd. Criminal record. But whether you got a record or not, in the eyes of God, you're a criminal. And I've got good news. God loves criminals. Jesus loves criminals. So what happened? <laughs> hey, it's easy, it's easy to get skeptical when we hear about a deathbed conversion or a deathbed conversation. Because that's so against everything we think about because we're like, man, I... I've got to be holy, and so I've got to go to church, and I've got to put something in the offering plate, and I've got to pray, and I've got to memorize Scripture, and I've got to know the words of the songs and know when to raise my hand and and when to sit down. And and we put all these things. So 
Plus, God, if I hear of somebody that you're telling me they, got, they lived however they wanted to and they got saved on their deathbed, can't be. We don't like it. And that's what Max Licato said, great pastor, great author. That's what he said when he heard the story of the last days of Jeffrey Dahmer. Do you know that name? Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer, the mass murderer. He was from Wisconsin. He, he murdered many people. He raped a lot of them. He dismembered them. And then he ate some of them. About as bad as you could get, right? Allegedly, while he was in prison, he made a profession of faith. I know what you're thinking. Yeah, he got religion. How convenient. That's what I would think too. I'm, I'm what I just described. But when Roy Ratcliffe, who was the local pastor, was invited to come to the prison and baptize one of the prisoners, he, he had no idea it was Jeffrey Dahmer. He felt the same way when he got there, but he talked to him and then he baptized him. And then he made a commitment. For a year, he spent an hour every week spending time with Jeffrey Dahmer, praying with him, getting in the scriptures. And that pastor eventually said, you know, I believe it's a true conversion. Hard to believe? Yeah. But it sure seems real. Max Lucado is referring to that when, when he writes, I struggle with this idea. I know Jesus is a Savior, but could he save somebody that bad? That vicious of a criminal? But he said, I came to the realization that I have to rest in the truth that forgiveness for criminals like Jeffrey Dahmer is at the heart of the gospel. So I don't know where you are on that spectrum. You're probably somewhere in the middle. Hopefully you're not on that far end. If so, you're flying under the radar. Watch out. But we're all on that spectrum. So let's get back to our criminal. Let's talk about what he hadn't done. He hadn't walked down an aisle because his feet were nailed to the cross. He hadn't raised his hand because his hands were nailed to the cross. He hadn't gone through church class or catechism. He had not had first communion. Oh my goodness, he was not baptized And yet we hear the words of Jesus. Jesus seems to show life-changing grace. So remember the main thing. Jesus loves you like he loves the criminal on the cross. And what he said and did on that day, that's what can give you hope on this day. That can be a life-changing difference maker in your life. So what, what was it that led to that? What was this conversation? One of the criminals was condemning Jesus and the other one was crying out for mercy, for salvation. It's interesting. Both of them were praying. Because Jesus is 100% man, but he's also 100% God. So both of them are talking to God. So that tells me I can be going through motions in relationship to God and not have my focus right. 
Because the one criminal, he was, he was mockingly crying out for the hand of God where one, all he wanted was the face of God. To see me, Jesus. How did he get there? What made this one criminal different? Let me just give you a few things and then we'll pray and wrap it up. Uh, first of all, he, he saw himself for who he was. And, and that's what I want you to understand. We must see ourselves for who we are. This was his moment of confession. Let me take you back to it. He, he turns to the other criminal and he says, what are you doing? Stop it. This man, he's done nothing, but we are guilty. We are the condemned. Do you not have fear of God? And in those couple of sentences that we have recorded there in Luke 23, we see a perfect example of confession and repentance. There has to be an acknowledgement. Hey, I'm guilty. That's the benefit of, of so many of these recovery programs and, and even celebrate recovery. I, I peeked in and, uh, of course, I won't use a name, but it, it's so cool. I, I didn't know I'd get to see this, but someone kind of stood up behind the lectern and they introduced themselves. They said, hi, I'm Paul. And everybody said, yeah. So there's a understanding that you've got to have a recognition I have some hurts. I've got some habits. I've got some hang-ups. I am a sinner. And that sin separates me from God. Now, why does that matter? It matters because of what he said. Do you not fear God? You see, for you to really have confession, there has to be a moment where you understand that Isaiah principle. Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, says, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up. And then he talks about the angels, all the seraphim that were filling the temple. And then he said, and me? What about me? Woe is me. I'm undone. God high, me low. That's what the fear of God is about. And not, i got to watch out, he's going to strike me dead with a lightning bolt. But it's about understanding his holiness. Because when I understand his holiness, then I recognize I've got to turn. And that's the core event in salvation, where I turn from doing it my way, from being the boss, from being in charge, to trying to save myself, to trusting him. So we see ourselves for who we are, and then that takes us to the second thing, is we have to see Jesus for who he was. We must see Jesus for who he is. Think about that day, how Jesus was dying. In humility and in grace. Just like he was born, by the way. He was born with animals, he was dying with criminals. He was born on a cave, he's died on a cross. Full of humility, yet full of grace. Man, that's so different from what prominence and platform and popularity look like in our society, isn't it? We're taught just to pull ourselves up and to push ourselves out there, promote ourselves, build our platforms. Not Jesus. So the criminal sees this, and he refers to Jesus in three distinct ways. Let me just give those to you. First, he calls him by his name, Jesus. Now, we know that there would have been other Jesuses living. That was not an uncommon name. However, we also know that the parents of this Jesus were told to name him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people 
from their, from their sins. So Jesus has specific meaning. It, it's a name that means, it's a name that means the one who saves. He says, Jesus, my Savior. And then you don't have this in the translation I just read, but in the original translation, he says, remember me, Kairos. Remember me, Lord. So he calls him Lord. At the heart of salvation is this moment where we begin to understand that he, he has to be our master. We can't be the master of our own fate. If we're going to spend forever with him, he has to be our master. And then there's an acknowledgement because it, he says, Jesus, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Now, what does that imply? He thought Jesus was the king. So all of a sudden, somewhere in the process, whether looking at the sign and seeing the eyes of Jesus, the conviction of God within his heart, begin to call him to say, there is a king that rules and reigns, and he's, he's on a cross right next to me. And, and Jesus, the one who saves, remember me, my Lord, when you come into your heaven, King Jesus. And in those few words... He acknowledges that he really sees God in all the ways he needs to see God. There's one more thing, though. You have to see yourselves for how, who you are. You, you have to see God for who he is. But we also must state our desire for God's mercy. So what does he say? Remember me, Lord. Remember me, Lord. Isn't it interesting? He didn't do what Pete, James, and John did. You know those guys, right? Three of the closest disciples. Remember when they were with Jesus? We got a couple different examples of this, actually. One time they get their mama to ask this. I mean, that talk about low. But they're all about which one of us can be at the right and which one of us can be at the left in the kingdom of God. Not this guy. No, he just wants remembrance. Remember me, Jesus. That's his profession. It was personal, and yet it was public. And I think that needs to be something if you're going to be a follower of Christ. So just understand this. I regularly meet people, and I begin to talk about their relationship with God, their relationship with Jesus, and maybe they say something like, well, you know, I've always been a Christian. And I'm almost 53, so I'm I'm trying to grow and be a nicer person, so I usually don't say this, but I usually want to say, nope, nope, no you haven't. That's not the way it works, not according to the Bible. Nobody has always been a, you're not born into the Christian family that way just because your mama or your grandmama was a Christian. It's not about them, this is about you. It has to be personal. So he says, remember me. And what was the response of Jesus? Truly, I say to you, today, <laughs> today. I wonder if he turned to the other criminal. We don't know which side was which, but I wonder if he turned to the other one and just went, today. And then he turns and says, 
today you're going to be with me in paradise. So just understand a couple of things about that. God's mercy and his grace and, and his forgiveness. Man, there are a couple of things that just jump out. Number one, God's grace is immediate. When we ask for his mercy, he says, yes. That's why he created you. You were created for fellowship with him. You were created to walk with him. He wants to show your grace, but you got to ask for it. And then he gives it immediately, today. Isn't that cool? Again, that kind of goes against the way we think. Sure, don't we have to do more? But there's something else. His grace was also intimate. His grace was intimate. Because he said, today you will be what? With me. In Mark 6, Jesus calls the disciples and he says, um, okay, Pete, James, John. He goes down the list. And then this is what it says in Mark 6. He calls them what? To teach. He calls them to learn how to pray. He calls them to work miracles. He calls them to go start the church when he is resurrected. All of those things are true, but no, that's not what it says. He calls them to be with him. That's what God wants from you. He wants that kind of intimacy. I I hear that and I think about... My mom is, is here. I think this is her first time back after a big, big battle with COVID. And um, I just know because we've talked about life and we've talked about death. And, and one of the things she's told me is, son, when we celebrate my life, one thing I know is I, I want that song that says these words. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. Now, This is about to get good. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, paradise, Jesus is referring to heaven. Don't get caught up. Don't try to think about any other thing. When Paul speaks about paradise in the New Testament, he uses that interchangeably with the word heaven. So today you're going to be with me in heaven. But paradise had a particular meaning that the people in Jerusalem would have understood as well. Because paradise stood for a walled-in garden. That would always have a gardener present. And when Mary and Martha were at the tomb. And they turned around and somebody said. Presuming he was the gardener. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joys we share as we tarry. God wants to be with you. God wants to be with you. But this is hard for us to accept because we've been programmed to misunderstand the simplicity of salvation. A a recent Barna survey did research and and they created a document that says what Americans think it means to be a Christian. 10% of Americans think it means to be a good person. 11% think it means to go to church and be religious. 14% think it means to love and to help others. How many of these things had the criminal on the cross done? None. And yet Jesus looked at him and said, hey buddy, I'll see you soon. He didn't say, by the way, you, 
you've got a record. Um, let's do this. For the first 10,000 years, you're going to be on the backside. I, I sometimes see people and they say, Brother Paul, I'm just, boy, I'd just be grateful if I'd get me a little cabin on the back 40 of heaven. And I just have to say, well, that's sweet, but that's not the way it works. Because when, when we walk with him, he is with us. That's how God's salvation looks. He loves you. He loves me. Just like he loved that criminal on the cross. And what he said and what he did on that day should give you hope this way. I love this quote from Erwin Lutzer. He said, there's more grace in God's heart than there is sin in our past. Amen. That's true of the criminal, and it's true for you and me. I was praying yesterday morning with our prayer team that gathers every Saturday. and You can be a part of that, by the way. It's not an exclusive group. But I was sharing with them that I was, I was preparing this message. I couldn't do so without thinking of that old gospel song. And, and you usually hear it sung a cappella. It's called Criminal on the Cross. Just listen to some of the words. On the judgment day when all the people gather round him and they wait to hear what he will declare. There will never ever be more intense anticipation that has ever happened anywhere. When they call my name to defend my reputation, there's only one thing I can say. I'm a wretch, I'm a worm, I'm a no good sinner. But he said, I'll save you anyway. I'm saved. I'm saved. Like the criminal on the cross. Praise God, I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved no more to suffer loss. He said I'd live in paradise, and he's taking care of the cost. Hallelujah. I'm saved. I'm saved. Like the criminal on the cross. Hey, we're in two groups today. Either you're saved like that criminal on the cross, or you're like the other guy. And here's the good news. He loves you today just like that criminal on the cross, and he wants to give you what he gave him on that day. So here's my question, and then we pray. Are you saved? Do you know today that if life ended, you would spend forever with Him in eternity? Because some of you may not recognize this because not every church teaches this, but Scripture teaches that you can know you don't have to live in doubt. You can live with what we call assurance. Security in your salvation. And that comes from a lot of places in Scripture. Places where Jesus says, nothing can snatch you out of my Father's hand. That's one of them. But places like this, 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you, to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you can know you have eternal life. You can know. Do you know? There's two reasons you need to make sure you know today. Number one is because none of us know when we die. Death is an appointment we will all keep. None of us will be a moment early. None of us will be a moment late. But unfortunately, we don't have that on our calendars. It's not in Microsoft Outlook. You're not going to find it written down anywhere. Two weeks ago, I was at this same point, at this exact same moment, at 12 p.m., and seated right there, just to my right, Miss Barbara Yost began to fidget in her purse as I heard her alarm go off. I was so relieved to find out later it was her medication alarm because I thought she was trying to send me a message, like, wrap it up, big boy. 
What a special lady. She had had a lot of illness. But at 88, every time she could be here, she was in church. That was Sunday morning. Less than 24 hours later, she was face-to-face with Jesus. You just never know, guys. So why would you not make sure today? Number two, here's the second reason you want to make sure. Just the facts. Most people who reject Jesus as they walk through life, they'll reject them on the deathbed as well. It's not 50-50 like it was that day. My friend Dr. Robert Glass was in the last service. He's a retired hospice chaplain. He's sat with so many. My best friend in life is a guy named Rodney. He's a hospice chaplain. Sits with those who are dying out in Texas. A lot of people have questions. But usually the people that rejected him throughout life. Reject him even at the moment of death. Don't reject him today. Because Jesus loves you. Just like he loved that criminal on the cross. And what he did and said that day for him, he says and he'll do today for you. So just remember what that guy did. He admitted that he was a sinner. He was guilty. He needed Jesus. He believed Jesus was the Savior. And then he just gave it all to Jesus. (laughs) You're my only hope. Remember me. Let's bow our heads together. There's only two divisions in the room. Some of you know for sure. And Pastor Paul, if I died today, actually I, I don't have a death wish, but man, that's, that's what I'm longing for because I know I'll be with Jesus. Some of you don't know that. I want to draw a line right now. I think there's a benefit and some public representation. That's what, um, that's what that criminal did that day. I'm sure those around the cross heard him say, Jesus, remember me, Lord. So I want to give you a chance. Even with this sacred and solemn moment, our head bowed, our eyes closed. I want to give you a chance to respond. So if you're you're in the know, you know. You would say, Pastor, man, I have good days and bad days. I'm a sinner saved by grace. But I know without any shadow of doubt, if my life ended today, I'd be instantly in heaven with my Jesus. If that's you, just wherever you are, slip your hand up all across this room. All right, put your hands down. I want to be as clear as I know to be. A lot of you could not raise your hands. So either you've, you've taken some steps, but you're struggling with doubt, or... You know. You know you've not taken this step. So let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to give you a prayer today. I just can't do that after preaching this passage. There was no magic prayer. Not that day. There were those components of prayer. He admitted he was a sinner. He believed Jesus was the way of salvation. And he committed himself to Jesus. Remember me. You're my only hope. 
So our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. But if you could not raise your hand a moment ago, I want you just to begin to pray to God. And that's amazing, isn't it? You, right where you are, you can pray to God that way. If this is something you want to settle, if you want to know before you leave this room, I want you just to begin to pray to God. And go through those three things. Tell Him, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. You're my salvation. I believe in you. However you want to say it, I commit to you, Lord. Just tell Him. Give you just a minute more. Because I want to give you an opportunity. Some of you really felt the burden of the moment a second ago. So I want you to see how easy it is for God to work. If a moment ago you couldn't raise your hand, but in your words, you cried out to God and you asked for mercy. This is what the Bible says. As many of you as called on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So you can have that assurance. If that's you, in some way you've just prayed and you began a relationship with Jesus. That's what we call it. You've placed your trust in Jesus. If you've just done that now where you're sitting, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just want you to lift up your hand all around this room. You've just done that. Just taking that step. In your words, you just cried out to God. You prayed that prayer. If you did that, that's the most important thing you could do. So a message like this, it causes us to need to respond. I don't know how we hear this and not respond in some way. So in just a moment, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I'm going to encourage you to experience the moment, I'll call it. So maybe you want to just kneel where you are, just put your head in your hands and pray where you are. Maybe you just want to worship. If you know you're a follower of Christ, just spend this moment thanking Him for His grace and His mercy. Maybe you want to come and pray about something with one of the pastors who will be standing here. But if you've not yet began that relationship or you have doubts and you want to resolve those doubts today, there are pastors that are going to be standing right at the front of this room. I invite you to come and to take their hands and they want to pray with you. They want to walk you through that process. They want to help you even now. So Father, it's our prayer in the name of Jesus that as we sing that old hymn about that old rugged cross, Lord, that we can, we can just celebrate what you've done or either we can run to you for mercy. That's our prayer today. God, may you give either just celebration for the cross or, Lord, may this be a moment where we're running to you for mercy. And may you do that by the power of your spirit for the glory of your name. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand together. As you come, you begin to sing this song.